Hey, good morning. Man, you venture it out on a cold day. You know, uh, I heard the weather this morning saying tomorrow morning is going to be like minus 21 degrees wind chill. And uh, what a great way to start the year. You know? But I thought global warming was going to warm things up. Oops. Hey, let's open our Bibles, Titus chapter 2. We're doing a series in the verses 11 through 14, and I've got a couple more things in there. Uh, you know, they're talking about the kids going through the whole Bible, and uh, I'm thinking, man, you know, that, that's like a goal, but, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. You know, I don't have enough time left. <laughs> and especially since I stop, you know, at one word... <laughs> God, you know, I mean, you talk about that for a few weeks. Well, I guess we talk about that every week, don't we? <laughs> Some churches don't, right? But we're going to talk about God today, but from a little uh, different perspective as, uh, as we go to it. So let's read verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. I love that. We're going to talk about that in a week or two. Eager to do what is good. So really the picture here is a picture of grace. It's all about grace. Grace, this unmerited favor, the, the foundation of it all that God just gives to us. You know, without his grace, where would we be? We'd still be lost. And then, and then we, we see in these verses that we're in the school of grace that he's teaching us. Through His grace, by His grace, He's teaching us how to live. You know, He's teaching us to, you know, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to, to live self-controlled, this life that He wants to give us, a new life, a new way of living, to be upright, to be godly in this present age, now, while we're here. But verse 13, we talked about this last time, you know, while we wait, while we wait for this blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting, we're, we're, we're looking ahead for this return of Jesus. That's what we're looking for. That's what we have hope in. That's our blessed hope. That Jesus is going to come back. He talked a lot about it. We looked at that last time. Paul talked a lot about it. Peter talked about it. We have the Old Testament prophets prophesying that it was going to happen. Jesus, he's going to come back. He's returning. And while we're waiting, what do we do? We serve. We worship. We run the race. But what I want to focus in on here today is something I talked a little bit about last week, Christmas Eve, is this phrase, the glorious appearing of our great God 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the construction of these words here and also uh, the construction of the words, and I read this, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read this, the, the, the combination of the blessed hope and the glorious appearing and the combination of our great God and, and Savior, the, the construction means that they're one and the same. Our blessed hope is the glorious appearing. But our great God and Savior is Jesus Christ. He's, you know, some of the translations are a little bit misleading when you read this verse. Here we see the great God and then we see and our Savior, Jesus Christ, meaning they're, they're two different in that particular verse, two different uh, persons, if you will. But here, I like the way it's translated in this version, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. He's, he is our great God. He is our Savior. We know He's our Savior. But what I want to talk about today, and I, and I mentioned it on, on Christmas Eve, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And this whole picture of the fact that Jesus Christ is God, the, the uh, theologians call it the, the deity of Christ or the divinity of Christ, who He is. Jesus is God. Now, you know, I was talking with somebody, uh, uh, I think it was Anthony, about you know, what kind of a message would we do today? Well, you know, last week, Christmas Eve, we did a Christmas message, and would we do a New Year's message? And I've done that before, and there are, you know, different times. I think last year I did a, a New Year's Eve message uh, thinking about the new year, and that's great. But I thought, you know, I wanted to continue on this theme, and I wanted to continue to talk about this, and I, and I was thinking about it. Well, what does that have to do with the new year? I think, I think it has everything to do with the new year. Because if Jesus is God, what is our response to be? We can make a lot of resolutions, right? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, you know, uh, eat sugar this year. Or, you know, I'm not going to, or I'm going to, to one of the favorite ones, I'm going to exercise more this year. I'm going to do all that. And those things are all good and fine and everything. But I think there's something that, that really is at, at the heart of who we are is if Jesus is God, then what should our response be? And that's what I want to talk about today. Why does it matter? If Jesus is God or if he isn't God, does it matter at all? Yeah. I think it does. I think it's absolutely crucial. And I want to talk about why it matters. If Let's, let's talk the negative side first. If he isn't God, the question is, why follow him? If he isn't God, worshiping and serving him would be worshiping and serving a created being or just a man. And why do that? Why should we do that? I don't think that's such a good idea, do you? And the third, third thing is this, if, if he isn't God, could he really save us? If he was just a man, could he save us? Is there any man on this planet who was just a man just like you and I? Could, 
a person like that save us? If he was just a man, he'd be a sinner. And he couldn't save you, he couldn't save me. If he was just a sinner, he couldn't save himself. If he died, who would he be dying for? Himself. The, pay, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And, and you and I, that's what we deserve. That's what the payment of sin is, is death. And so if he was a sinful man just like everybody else, there's no way he could save us. But on the positive side, if he is God, we need to follow him. This whole picture, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very large picture when we, we're, we're celebrating Christmas and, and all that, and that, that you know, Jesus came, to he was born in Bethlehem and that. But it's such a very large picture if you, if you add to that the fact that Jesus is God and that he came to the earth. And so when you, when you think about God, God is eternal. And so where was Jesus before he came to Bethlehem? He was with the Father for all eternity. So when you try to put this whole picture together, that God came down through the sun, came down to earth, but he didn't just come down for just for the fun of it, right? Why did he come? He came to save us. That's right. He came to show us the love of the Father. He came to rescue us to redeem us. So God came down, you see. So, so this idea is so radically important about who is Jesus and what did he come to do and, and what should our response to be? What should our response be to that fact? I read in a commentary this, but Jesus is God, not simply like God, or godly, but he is God. That's kind of important, right? He's not, he's not like God. He's not godly. He is God. There are a lot of different views, though, aren't there, about Jesus? If you asked, you know, your neighbor or somebody you work with or your, one of your relatives or whatever, and you say, well, well, who do you think Jesus is? What kind of answers would you get? Their first answer in many cases is not going to be, well, he is God. Of course, don't, doesn't everybody know that? Does everybody believe that? No. What, what do they say? He, who do they say he is? He was a good man. Yeah. Oh, he was a good man. He, you know, I have respect for him because he was a good man. He was a good person. What else? He was a son of Mary, yeah. What a, he was a good teacher. He was, a, he was an incredible teacher, yeah. And we all like good teachers, mostly. We don't like school. But, you know, if we had a good teacher, we remember a good teacher. Well, Jesus was, he was a good teacher. He was, man, he taught some incredible stuff. And you read it, there's nothing, there's nothing on the planet that is, can, can outdo the Sermon on the Mount in terms of, a good teaching. Nothing like it. Anywhere. Try to find it. You try to find something that compares to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. What else do they say about him? 
He was a prophet. Yeah, he came and he prophesied, you know, he talked about, you know, those other prophets and different people, and anybody can be a prophet if you want to, you know, say you're a prophet. Well, I'm a prophet, and, you know, you know, if you're 50, if you're over 50% right in what you say is going to happen, well, they might say, well, yeah, you really are a prophet. Of course, the Bible standard is quite a bit higher than that. It's like 100% or you're not a prophet and we're going to take you out to the back and stone you to death. They say that, you know, he's a wise man. He's very wise. Yeah? Of course, he is all those things, right? He was a good man. He was a good teacher. He's a prophet. He's a wise man. I said a few weeks back, though, that, that uh, this is where all of the false teaching diverges, mainly on who Jesus is, right? Let me give you some examples real quick. Mormons, they believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. And this is, these are simplified, you know, you have to look into all this in much greater detail. One of several gods created by the super god Adam and exalted man. Jehovah's Witnesses believe he's Michael, the archangel. That's who he is. The Unification Church, some of these just get really weird. I think it's much easier just to believe Jesus is God. Why can't you just accept that? You know the reason why we can't just accept that, because then if he is, then we have to accept what he came to do. Then we have to either believe in him or reject him. And we don't want to. Unification Church, otherwise known as the Moonies, because Reverend Moon is their leader. Jesus was only a spiritual redeemer who failed to provide the physical redemption that the new Messiah, Reverend Moon, will supply. The Worldwide Church of God. Now, they have changed since this, but this was their original... uh, view. Jesus is viewed as part of a Godhead that is open to perfected men. What does that mean? The Way International, they're they're not around much anymore. Jesus was a created being who was sent by God to die for the sins of man, which is, you know, that is believed by other groups too. He was created, but he was sent to die. So they at least kind of get that part in there. Uh, The Unitarian Church, you've all heard of that. Jesus was a good moral man. That's, you know, that's all he was. The mind sciences, the Christian science, religious science, unity, these theosophy. Uh, Jesus is viewed as, as only a man who manifested the Christ potential that resides in each person. You know, we, we, we chuckle about that, but, you know, there's people that, that this is like reality to them. Jesus is that, you know, we all have this Christ potential within us. We got this, you know, this thing happening. One spiritist group has referred to Jesus as a medium of the sixth sphere of the astro projection. Yeah. How about Jesus is God? 
Jesus is Lord and Savior. This is what it says here. We're waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to be saved by Him, and there's no other way. There's no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus. This, this is, and these are from a website called ChristinProphecy.org. We can be wrong about many things, but if we are right about Jesus, we can be saved. Likewise, we can be right about many things, but if we are wrong about Jesus, we can be lost. To be saved, we must put our faith in Jesus, the, the Jesus revealed by the Word of God. That's, the, that's the, the Jesus we need to find out about, the one that the Bible teaches us about. How can you take, well, we're going to take uh, you know, the name of Jesus, and then we're going to come up with all these weird and crazy things about who He is, We've heard about him from the Bible, so why don't we just believe what the Bible says about who he is? Does that make sense? I mean, you know, I used to like math, and I I was good at math, and, and, you know, I try to think logically. It seems logical. If If this is who the Bible teaches, you know, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, well, we need to think about that and, and then respond and make a choice. So some of all these weird and crazy views, is not, they're not what the Bible teaches. And they're not what we believe. Because we believe what the Bible teaches. That's why Justin was talking about the Bible. We teach the Bible to our, to our uh, children's ministry. So I want to look at some of the verses in the Bible. And, and, and uh, you know, we need to understand this. This is clear as day. It, it, it is so clear. If you look at it from cover to cover, it's clear as day. So how could there be confusion about it? I don't know. But I want to go through it because I think it's important. So let's start at the Gospel of John. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, which when you look at John 1, 1, it's very reminiscent of another 1-1. And what 1-1 is that? Genesis 1-1, yes. You say, why are you making a big deal out of all this? I know Jesus is God, but do you really know Jesus is God? But, but not only that, this is a big deal. This is one of the biggest deals. In the beginning, 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, or the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see that there? The Word, the Logos, was God. Now, the, uh, the uh, New World Translation, which is used by the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, tra- they mistranslate this. I remember being in Bible school, and, and you know, you could... You could look at that, and it says the Word was a God. But our teacher, he said, okay, but he took their Bible, which they don't believe that he is God, and he still proved to us the deity of Christ because they didn't change all the verses because there's too many of them to change. You have to change everything. So look what it says, verse 2. He, that is the Word, was with God in the beginning. So he was there in the beginning. He was with God. Through him, look at verse 3, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life. And that life was the light of men. So, so we see this logos. He's talking about the word here. He was with God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. And he was the agent of creation. He was, he was creator. Now, who can create but God, right? I mean, you and I create on a different kind of level. We don't create anything new. We, you know, we write books, we, we, we write papers, we, we sing songs, we make up songs and stuff, but Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before. We're not really creating like God created. But then jump, jump down to verse 14. It says, the word of the Logos, what? Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, or the only begotten, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Logos was God, the word was God, and the word became flesh, and he came and he lived amongst us. He came to earth. And we've seen his glory. Who can we apply glory to but God? Can't give glory to man. That's where we go. That's our problem. We give too much glory to people, and, and people take it upon themselves. There's only one that has glory, and it's God himself. Let's, let's go ahead to verse five, uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 18. We've got to move quickly. I'm, 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 this is just such a big, important subject. I just, I can't stress that enough. Look, look at chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Why? What did he say in verse 17? He said, my father is always at work, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So they tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He made himself by, by his own claim, his own words. He was making himself equal to God. And they wanted to kill him, and that's in the end. That was, that was really what, what kind of sealed it. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Look at chapter 8. Jump ahead to chapter 8, verse 58. He said, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Blasphemy. He was calling himself God. You see, for a Jew to hear those words, and he said, you know, Abraham, you know, he saw my day. He saw it was glad. And, he, you know, they're saying, like, you're nuts. You're not even 50. But he says, before Abraham was even born, I am. Before Abraham was born, he existed. He was, he was there with the Father. And, and not only that, but the language of this word I am goes back to the very uh, essence of the term Yahweh, which means I am that I am, or 
the being one. The, it's, it's all about the I am. And they, and, you know, go back to Exodus. Say, who, who, who shall I say sent me? Well, tell them that, that I am sent you. Speaking to Moses. How about chapter 10? One more here. Chapter 10 and verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It shows us what he was claiming to be, but also shows us what that particular group there believed about him, that he was just a mere man. A mere man. He didn't believe it. Jesus didn't say that. Blasphemy. So Jesus, by his claims, by what he said, but also by his actions, by what he did. He did do miracles, miracles that no one else could do. Jesus is God by his claims, but also by his actions. No one else could do the things that he did. No one else said the things that he said. At the uh, Answers in Genesis website, they said this about Jesus. It says, he has the names of God. He has the attributes of God. He has the authority of God. He does the works of God, and he is worshipped as God. It doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? I got a few more verses that I want you to look at with me. Let's look at Luke chapter 5. Turn back one book to Luke chapter 5, verse 20. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks what? Blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew that no one could forgive our sin but God alone. And Jesus is now on the scene and he's saying, you know, not only does he heal the people, but he says, your sins are forgiven. How can we be forgiven unless he is God? That's radical. Another thing about Jesus is that he received worship all through from beginning to end. Even when he was in that, that manger, right? The wise men, they came, and what does it say about them? They brought him gifts. Well, we're not going to get into whether they came right then when he was just born or he came later. There's some question about that. But the fact of it is at some point they came and they, they brought him gifts, and they what? They worshipped him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship any people. I don't want to worship cars or guitars or houses or all the stuff that, that our society is telling us, you know, you really need to give it your all to this thing. There's a lot of misplaced worship, right? 
And we're all prone to it. We've got to be careful. What, where, the, where is the worship of my heart? What, what worship is, is when, when something takes the very center of our hearts. That's what we worship. That's what worship is. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He received worship. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to do Philippians, Colossians, and then one more in Hebrews before we wrap this up. But it's never going to be wrapped up, is it? Because He is God for eternity, forever. From eternity past, eternity future. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Look at verse 6. He's speaking about Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was very nature God, and, and, and you know, it, he, it says literally that he emptied himself when he came and he took the form of a man. He was still God, but he, but he humbled himself to take this human likeness. How about Colossians, the next book, chapter 2 and verse 9, Colossians 2. For in Christ, all the fullness of what? The deity, the Godhead, lives in bodily form. In Christ, Jesus, all the fullness. And one more found in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And trust me, we're just looking at some of the, some of the verses that, are, that give uh, this doctrine or this teaching or this truth about Jesus Christ, who He is. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The exact representation, the radiance of God's glory. I think it's pretty clear. You know, I, I hope that that it's a clear in your minds about who Jesus is. Maybe some of you are still questioning. Well, you can, you can do a study. Read about it. There's so many resources you can read to find out the truth about what the Bible teaches about who He is. But I think the bottom line is, is this, that if Jesus is God, as I said earlier, we need to follow Him. Because what did He say? He said, follow me. If Jesus is God, He's the only one that could save us. He came to save us, to show us His love. 
As a matter of fact, if you'll read on the screen with me in 2 Corinthians, it says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God was in Christ. God was in Christ. One more passage I want you to turn with me, John chapter 20. I think the Gospel of John brings out that these truths uh, probably uh, to a greater degree than any of the other Gospels, but they all do, of course. But this section here in John chapter 20 and verse 24 uh, is talking about doubting Thomas, right? And Thomas... You know, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared. He wasn't there when, after he resurrected. And, he, and they said to him, listen, you've got to believe us. He, he was, he's alive. He was here with us. We saw him. We ate. We, you know, we, we were with him. Thomas said, no, nah, I'm not going to believe it. Unless what? Unless I can touch him. Where the spear went, you know, where the hands put my hand in his side, put my finger into the, where the nails were, see the nail, see the nail marks in his hands. I'm not going to believe. I refuse to believe. This is a guy that was with Jesus all, you know, for all this time. It's interesting, though, when you think about uh, you know, the language we use, uh, you know, doubting Thomas. Most everybody knows about doubting Thomas. So they know that it came from the Bible. They used to, but understanding of some of these things, and, and there's so many biblical phrases that are in our vocabulary that we don't even realize they came from the Bible. The golden rule, right? People know about the golden rule. Where did it come from? It came from the Bible. It's, it's not, those words aren't used there, but what we know to be the golden rule came out of the Bible. Doubting Thomas. Let's look at verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, told him <coughs> excuse me, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas came to that place. He, he, it was a little bit of a rough ride, I think. But he came to that place. His response, he saw Jesus, the risen Lord. No man could just do that. I mean, the miraculous thing about it, he walks, you know, he, he just appeared. He came right through the wall. He was right there amongst them. My Lord my God. 
Isn't that, isn't that where we all need to end up? That Philippians chapter 2 passage talks about it, you know, that, that we come to that place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've all heard of uh, C.S. Lewis. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, C.S. Lewis... He came up with, well, actually, he didn't come up with it. He popularized this thing. It's called the trilemma. Y'all know what a trilemma is? I have no idea. Tri trilemma is three. A dilemma is, a, you know, a dilemma between two things. A trilemma is between three. It's really four, but I don't know the word for a, a quadrilemma, maybe. But it, he didn't come up with it, but he popularized it, and people think that, you know, because, that he was a guy. Anyways, it's really about, about Jesus being God. And these are kind of the options. Number one, that he was a liar. That he lied about this. Because he did say these radical things about him being God. It's, it's kind of interesting, though, because there's a problem, because a, a lot... These people, you know, will look at and say, well, you know what? He was just lying about that. But in the same, by the same token, he was a very good moral teacher. Well, I don't know about you, but lying doesn't seem all that moral to me. Number two is that he is a lunatic. He's just a madman. He was a pretty good madman. He was a pretty moral madman. He was a pretty wise madman, prophetic uh, madman, but he was still a lunatic. He was a madman. And, and, you know, I mean, years and years ago, we spent some time in a, in a hospital where, you know, there were people that have a lot of very serious problems. And, and I remember a young man in there who... who who thought he was Jesus. But he was, he was in a bad way. He was in a bad shape. But that's not the picture I get of Jesus reading the Gospels. One that, that C.S. Lewis didn't use, but I think uh, you know, is popular, is that this whole thing about him being God was that it's just all a story that was made up by his disciples. They just made it up. So the point that C.S. Lewis got to it was this. He was Lord. He was who he said he was. He's God. We all have to kind of make a decision, right? We all have to kind of think about these things. Well, who is Jesus? But if he is God, you and I, make a decision to follow. We don't have any options. He, if he is God, then we, we need to follow him. We need to listen to what he said. We need to surrender to him. That's why, you know, this the song that, that we sing is like a, a children's song, but, but it's really not a children's song. It's a song for all human beings. I have decided to follow Jesus. Why? Because he's a good teacher? That's not good enough. Because he's wise, because he's a prophet, that's, those aren't good enough reasons to follow Jesus Christ. But because he is God, 
because he is Lord, because he is Savior. That's really the only reason. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, who is God the Son. And Father, we, uh, we could talk about who you are, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the, and the, the Trinity, and, and we may not understand it all, but, but we know your word clearly says that Jesus is deity, that he is God the Son. And so we're faced with a decision. What do we do about it? Jesus, we come before you and we confess. If we've made that, dis- that realization and that, that you are God, the agent of creation, creator there with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And that there's no other way to be saved but through you and by what you did for us on that cross 2,000 plus years ago. Father, I pray you would, you would help us to understand, help us to truly See how great this truth is. That we don't just follow a man, but we follow Jesus Christ, the great God, our Savior, who's coming back for us. Perhaps there's some here even today as we pray, uh, you, you've never bowed your knee before him. You could do it now and just... Through, through prayer and bowing your hearts before him and bowing your knee and your hearts before him now and say, Dear Jesus, I, I realize who you are and I surrender to you today. I give my life to you because you gave your life to me. And I want to follow you because you are the only one that has the words of eternal life. Father, thank you for this new year. I pray that that we would have a, a renewed focus on being disciples or followers of Jesus because he deserves to be followed and no one else. Help, help us stay on track, Father, this year to, that, that we only worship and serve you, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Help those other things of this world to lose their shine and lose their uh, focus that we might be dedicated to following you. That's what really matters. While we're looking and waiting for you to return for us, Jesus, our blessed hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.